Uh, I want to start with the land acknowledgement. Um, this land that we're on is traditionally Blackfoot territory. Uh, the Blackfoot Confederacy consists of the Blackfeet nation south of the imposed US-Canadian border, the Siksika, Bagani, and Ganai. Uh, in 1877, Treaty 7 was signed that brought the Stony Nakoda, Wesley, Chiniki, Verspaw nations, as well as the Dene from Sutina. I always acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Land acknowledgements are really important for not just creating a safer space, but acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. Uh, we are all treaty partner. The government either signed on your behalf or as an Indigenous person, you have a role in your treaties. I'm Satu Dene, so my uh, treaty is actually Treaty 11. And even though I was born here in Calgary, I'm still uh, what you would call like a, a visitor to this area. Now I was, I'm here because of displacement, thanks to Canadian government policies, but you know, for other people, when you do your land acknowledgement, acknowledge your background, acknowledge the land, because that is the respect minimum we should be giving in this mo in this conversation. So I, I uh, encourage folks to do that in, in your land acknowledgement. And I, I love hearing people's land acknowledgements. Some are like really truthful, like, these Canadian policies are genocidal and are killing people. And that's what I'd like to hear, frankly, because that's the truth. But for a lot of folks there, they don't know. So they'll say, well, I acknowledge we're on Treaty 7. And then that's it. So I, I just want to um, encourage people to say your truth in your land acknowledgement as you learn how to address the land. Um, so we want to be LGBTQ2 plus inclusive. So in my signature here, or my, my name, I have Michelle and I put she and her, I use she and her pronouns. I try to do that to acknowledge um, folks that are transgender may want to use they or them. And we want to acknowledge people's pronouns and try to use them in a proper way. So I encourage folks to do that. It's June. It's not just Indigenous Peoples Month, but it's also Pride Month. So these are really important uh, moments to uh, have true inclusion with other folks. And as a cis straight woman, when I make mistakes, I try to apologize on the spot and continue and move on. Uh, so I encourage you all to do that too. Uh, respect people's feelings, no swearing or abusive language. And of course that's more meant for me because when I swear that's wrong. Uh, no cross talking, stay off the phone, stay on topic and um, so the Hope for Wellness hotline I'll put into the chat at 855-242-3310. It's toll free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And today's topic is a tougher one. Um, so I, what I would like to do is just kind of do a bit of a check-in. I don't see anything in the chat yet. So what I'm going to do is just the participants list kind of goes in alphabetical order according to their first name. So um, I'll pass it off to Katie first because she is the uh, host. And then we'll go to Barbara, Kat, Crystal, Danielle, et cetera, et cetera, about, um, you know, introduce yourself, um, talk a little bit about the book that you uh, had read and some of your feedback. And uh, with that, I'll pass it over to Katie first, because that's our partnership with uh, the Calgary Library. Like, you all know how much I love libraries, right? Like, I mean, my biggest problem right now in moving is moving my books. <laughs> that's great to hear. Um, my name's Katie. I work with the Calgary Public Library. I'm the library staff host for this program, and that, that really just means that I'm supporting Michelle with any 
behind the scenes roles that might come up. I am Métis. I was born on Treaty One land, which is Winnipeg, I believe. And um, I, I am going to pass in regards to talking about the book. That's great, thank you. Barbara, if you don't mind unmuting yourself, uh, we'd love to hear a bit about you and uh, if you've got a chance to read the book and your thoughts, and if not, don't feel compelled to have to um, have read the whole book in order to participate. Great, thank you. Um, I'm Barbara, I go by she, her. I'm a settler. Um, and this, I think my third time of joining the group. And I found in reading the book, what I particularly, I remember a little bit, but what I appreciate about the book is the slow pace, because that's where it shared a lot of the details about Tina and the background and what was happening in Winnipeg, little in the investigation. So I found it quite kind of a journey. And I thought that was good because at times it was so distressing and upsetting and depressing that I found the book quite uh, like I, I value having read it. So I'll stop there. No, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Barbara, for joining us and for your feedback. Kat would like to pass it off to you. Hello. And Crystal. I'm Kat. I am a settler colonizer from born on Treaty One territory, Winnipeg. So that's why this book was especially moving for me, um, being from Winnipeg. Um, uh, I am also the founder and um, uh, I run Settlers Book Club too, which is a companion to Michelle's um, aimed at settler folks. Um, this book, yes, was, was a really tough read, very, um, very well written, um, very balanced. And um, I did find, uh, I wanted to find out more um, after what happened, after the trial, what happened with uh, Manitoba Child and Family Services. So I did some research today and actually found the report that uh, the Manitoba Child Advocate wrote, and I can pop it into the chat if y'all are interested. Um, it's an even more harrowing read than the book itself because it is very explicit in the, the details of how um, Child and Family Services failed multiple, multiple times. Um, they made five recommendations and I believe none of them have been followed yet. Um, and this report came out in 2019. So that's what I'm gonna say for the moment. Um. This conversation is really Indigenous centered and um, I really encourage folks who are Indigenous to take as much space as you want to talk about this and um, just uh, to add to what Kat was saying, I have a list in my phone when I ran provincially um, of the reports that came out every single year in Alberta, not one of them has had any of their recommendations implemented. So this is a problem that's across the country and very timely considering the uh, video that's gone viral of the uh, Calgary social worker and the way that she was treating um, folks on video. And I got private messages that this was not uh, an isolated incident. Um, and I can tell you that by experiences of 
of my own experiences and, and many other experiences. So um, really, really important conversation uh, to continue about social services. So I hope settlers or so-called allies that pretend to care about these issues see their role in holding their provincial governments to account in social services. And for anyone who's read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, there's a pipeline that's talked about how Indian residential schools led to the creation of child welfare. And if you've read the inquiry, you can also further expand the pipeline of child apprehension causing missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit. So, um, you know, if you don't fundamentally know these reports, then you're not going to understand these issues and how they're all interwoven. So uh, thanks, Kat, for, for bringing that up. Uh, next, I think we have Danielle. I think actually it's Crystal's turn. <laughs> oh, it's okay if you want to go first. Oh, Crystal, you're okay. next. Sorry, okay. I, I didn't see that. That's okay. It, it I'm happy to wait or go. It doesn't matter. Yeah, um, no, when you unmute, it bumps you up. So then we're not um, in the, yeah. So sorry, that was my fault. Um, so I'm Crystal. Uh, I'm identified as a settler colonizer descendant uh, from English, French, Portuguese, Scottish, and Romanian roots. And yeah, this book was like very emotional and to me, like the parts that stood out was just like, there was that one chance where her life could have been saved and the officer didn't, he didn't follow up. And just like, could you go back in time and change that one action and she might still be here with us. Um, I had seen also a, a documentary about racism in Canada and it, her grandmother was featured in that and her grandmother talking about her connection with her granddaughter. And it's, you, it's just, yeah, it's heart-wrenching and heartbreaking to think like, why did this child have to be treated like this and uh, die? And then the other part was the whole police aspect. Like I'm not that familiar with policing. I've read a lot about like wrongly convicted and you know, with death penalty stuff and looking more into abolition stuff. But um, what really struck me is someone who, like really with his education, he was a salesperson. He ended up becoming a detective of homicide. I thought that was like, wow, okay. Um, and then the amount of money that they spent like after the fact trying to find the killer and the methods that they use to kind of manipulate people into saying things it like was to me very problematic. And I guess, cause I look at it more from like a psychology and like trauma perspective that I just thought this whole way of doing things is not really even a way to get at the truth and like find out what actually happened. So, yeah. And then my little pet peeve, I know it was a British author but it really irked me that she was calling Tina a schoolgirl all the time. Like, I don't know, just irked me. So anyway, that's my take on it. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And um, the uh, report Kat was referencing is now in the chat if you anybody wants to copy and paste that now. And uh, Danielle, I think you're next. Hello. Um, 
My name is Danielle Maxwell. I'm a little bit nervous. I've never been to a book club before, <laughs> let alone a virtual one that's being recorded. <laughs> um, I am Nati. Um, and uh, it's hard for me because I never really had any connection to community. So um, at this stage in my life, I'm trying to learn more about where I came from. And uh, yeah, I was uh, pretty touched by this book. It was uh, pretty eye-opening. I um, feel like my education has failed me sometimes, just the amount of stuff that we don't learn about unless we take it upon ourselves to. So having read this book and working up the nerve to join you all tonight, I um, want to do more reading by own voices, um, Indigenous authors. I also, um, I'm gonna try to learn more on my own. I know there's a Coursera course that's kind of off topic, but they have a Coursera course from the U of A that's about uh, the history of Indigenous people in Canada. I don't know if the enrollment's still open, but I recently enrolled in that too. Um, I think education is really important and we just gotta take it upon ourselves to try to fill in the gaps. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, Danielle, I hear, I see uh, Katie said, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, other folks put up their hearts. Like, it, um, I think that there's a very different conversation for you and I, because you're reclaiming who you are. And that's a different conversation than not being educated. You weren't educated on purpose because the Canadian government does not want you identifying as Indigenous. So, you know, for me, um, you know, I'll private message you my phone number, you are welcome to text me, call me anytime, uh, because I know that if you reclaim your identity and start feeling very comfortable identifying as a Métis woman in Canada, you know, you have inherent rights, as all Indigenous people do. And of course, Canada wants to take that away from you because they want your, you know, land, your resources, and they don't want you to be proud of who you are. So that was done on purpose. And, um, you know, you, you are in the right space of people who want to learn with you. So we're really honored that you're here and uh, hope that you feel supported in your Red Road journey, not just by me, but by the entire group. And uh, with that, maybe Ginny, if you want to unmute and uh, go from there. Yeah. Hi, everyone. <clears throat> Um, I'm Ginny, and I am a settler colonizer of European descent. Um, I said last time I was here that I would look up more of the traditional, the nations on the traditional territories that I uh, grew up on, but um, it's like more east, and that's the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabe. Um, and I'm really excited to learn more about those nations. I actually was invited just over the weekend to join um, this online Anishinaabe-led community where they're teaching the Anishinaabe Gikandasuan, which is the Anishinaabe ways of knowing. So that was a serendipitous um, invite. And I, will, I did read the book um, and I, I won't say too much for now, but it was, you know, absolutely, devastating um, and I just appreciate being a part of this book club and being exposed to reading something that I wouldn't maybe have selected or heard about on my own and it definitely was a very 
deep and personal um, um, absorption into um, Tina Fontaine's world and her family's world and just the devastation and just one story alone. So uh, yeah, that's all I'll say for now. Thank you. Well, thank you for your thoughts and, and sharing everything that you said as well. Jeremy, I think you're next. Perfect, and I just figured out my audio issues. So, sorry, please let me know if you can't hear me. Um, so, I'm Jeremy. I go mostly by he, him pronouns, and I'm a settler of uh, largely French, uh, yeah, West European origin, a couple generations uh, on Turtle Island. And I was mostly raised out east as well. Um, and that was, uh, I wrote it down because I'm still not super familiar with it. Um, but uh, I guess, I don't know if this is the right term, the, the Huron or Wendat Nation and the Innu Nation. Uh, primarily, uh, it was their traditional territory, is their traditional territory, uh, with, you know, um, no real treaty, back, except for a, a friendship treaty going back to the 1700s. Um, in terms of the book, I found it, maybe it was just me, you know, kind of trying to find something to criticize, but it was difficult for me to see that story from a, well, I'll, I'll admit I don't know the author's background, but I assume that she's not indigenous um, and uh, being from the UK is sort of, you know, of a colonial mindset. Um, and a lot of that kind of came through in the way the book was written and the emphasis on how the police and the police's family was affected um, was really quite frustrating for me. Um, and then so that led me to do some other research um, on you know, hopefully more relevant things. Uh, but I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Um, I don't want to take much space today as um, it's not about uh, you know people that identify as male. So thank you. Well, I do think it's important. Uh, both you and Crystal touched on the idea of, uh, you know, her being a UK reporter. I mean, there's nothing more in the world that makes me angry than seeing the BBC because she, you know, was featured so much in the BBC and getting all of this airtime when, you know, BBC, Britain, the Crown have always like completely denied their role in all of this. They're literally the reason why we're having this problem. And they just don't even see their how they've taken that space. So, Julie, uh, you'd like to unmute. I invite you to. Sure. Thanks, Michelle. Hi, everyone. My name is Julie, and I go by she, her. Um, my was born and raised in um, the ter traditional territory of the Algonquin Nation, so in Ottawa, now known as Ottawa, which is uh, territory that has no treaty. So Parliament Hill and all around there has no treaty with the nations, uh, it's traditional uh, care in contemporary caretakers of that land. Uh, I was born to my mom, Polly, whose parents had come from Belgium just uh, 
so it's her parents. So she's fairly new. She was fairly new to Canada. And my dad, Jim, whose parents had come from Northern Ireland, his grandparents had come from Northern Ireland. So still very new to Canada, really. Uh, so Northern Ireland and Belgium, uh, settler colonial history all the way back um, for my family. Um, and then I myself moved to Treaty 7 to Calgary in 1994 and grateful to be here making my life and hoping I, I'm contributing somehow um, to the to good ways here. Um, I, yeah, the book was really hard to read. I read most of it. I skipped some parts that were just hard for me. Um, I struggled with how it was written for many of the th reasons people have said it was so just sort of factual in a way, like sort of like a law and order episode, um, which I was trying to think of maybe that there's an audience for that and it would bring it into the arms of people who wouldn't seek out an Indigenous point of view. Maybe you don't need a lot of commentary. Maybe you walk away from it thinking, gosh, the only thing the system ever looked to at for Tina for was to see if she was, you know, had drunk alcohol or taken drugs. That was the only tests anyone ever seemed to give her from the system you know so maybe it had a value in that way but it was hard to read that distancing from her um you know those chapters were essentially for forensics this is a harsh thing for, for me to say I, and i apologize the system treat turns her into a evidence into a thing into you know and, and for i think anyone who was moved by her and certainly her family and community she was never a thing and so I struggle with a book that did that to her again. Um, but that shows what the legal system here is like. That's, well, that's we're evidence, you know, Dina um, became evidence. So I'm, I am very glad to have read it. Uh, very difficult to read. And I hope it can do some good, some good in the world for uh, the kind of changes we need to make. Excellent points. Um, yeah, I think that uh, especially considering the case of Cindy Baju, where they literally used her sexual organs as evidence and completely dehumanized her. Like you can see that British tone in, in everything. It's so insidious and just awful when it comes to this conversation. So I, I really appreciate you highlighting that. Kathy Bear, I uh, invite you to unmute and tell us your thoughts. And Hi, I'm Kathy Bear. I'm from uh, Muscaday First Nation, Northern Saskatchewan, Treaty 6 territory. Um, I read the book, oh, probably going on three months ago. As soon as I saw it, I picked it up. It was at the library, so I grabbed it. Uh, so that it's getting a little fuzzy already. But um, the things I like crime, like I, I like crime stories, so I didn't have a problem with the style of it. Um, what I found was how the, the dramatic change from this little girl living with her grandmother to how she looked when they got her a hotel, a child, a hotel for herself. That was just such an obvious thing. Like she's changed. It was just, she should have been helped. It just, I just don't know how, how people couldn't have helped her how I just, it just blows me away. And then on top of it, that the indignity of not finding him guilty, like that's just reading all that evidence. It's just insane. How could they not? It, it's just, you know, I'm trying very hard to get over my anger. I have still residual anger issues about the colonization. 
Um, but it just makes me want to go there and like do something because that man killed that little that somebody's granddaughter. He just killed her. And everybody knows it, and he got away with it. It just drives me insane. Um, yeah, that's like all the details of the book. A lot of it is getting fuzzy already, but I, I, I really enjoyed the read. Um, and it just blows me away how they could have all that circumstantial evidence and stuff, and 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 it wasn't enough. Why? because she's disposable, uh, you know, as far as the Canadian government in, in general, you know, like First Nations women are disposable. It's, it's like we're the lowest of the low on the totem pole, so to speak. And it, and, and it just, it just hurt that book really, you know, like I knew the story, I, I, I but, getting a clearer picture of all the details of the investigation, just kind of like, how could, how could he walk away from that? That's just something wrong. And it's the way the Canadian society has, has been, has been taught. Um, this is a really good book. It's um, by Akus, Janice Akus, and it's, uh, neither Indian princess or easy squaw. And that's, that's how the Canadian government, the legal system has turned us into like, because we're First Nations, we're all just like easy squaws, you know? And um, yeah, there's a problem. There's a problem with this society. And I just got off of uh, an anti-racism book with Rosemary and, it, um, I was hoping that there'd be more actions taken, especially in light of, of Kamloops. Like, it's great now that CBC has the orange, every child matters and all that stuff. But I really, uh, I was talking to my girlfriend who's a professor at Thompson River University in Kamloops. And, and I said, well, maybe some good can come from all of this because you know, all these, maybe the Canadian government will finally be shamed into doing some actions, um, like repatriating all of these bones to the right places where they should be, um, uh, offering ground penetrating radar to every reserve that wants to find their kids. Every school has these mass burial sites. And I'm off topic, sorry, I'm just, um, yeah, just reading about it because as a child living on the streets in Edmonton, stuff like that could have happened to me so easily. You know, I was 13, 14 living on the streets in Edmonton. So yeah, it just, it just brings it home to me how, how lucky I am to have survived this kind of hatred that the Canadian the general Canadian population has for me, my people, and this is my country. And to be treated like that is kind of, yeah. Anyway, thank you.
I'm sorry that I'm getting so emotional. <laughs> you no, know, not at all. I don't want you to feel that way at all. If we were here in person, I'd you know, want to be taking that Kleenex and, and being with you right now anyway. And I think that it's really important in, in order for you and I to heal from this ridiculous post-apocalyptic genocide that we are still like in the middle of because they refuse to implement policies like we have to talk about it and you know you're welcome on my podcast anytime one to hear you're welcome here anytime because canadians need to hear our voices they've held the space they've held this dialogue their laws are imposed on us and then we don't get any justice they've had these like there's, we, we did the book in November, I think it was, and we put up, you know, a group and we put up a video and we tried to say, this is a thing, but you know, clearly I'm on mute when it comes to people's social media. Clearly, this is not a conversation people want to have. You know, everything you're talking about is so valid to this conversation. It's in the TRC that ends up like the pipeline of Indian residential school to child welfare to apprehension to MMIW like it's so clearly laid out but folks are not reading it and that's the power of a book like this that we can finally discuss it without being gaslit because your truth matters it's documented Tina's life is documented and yet she's not properly honored I mean I can go to the store today and get a book on Princess Diana or a magazine with her face on it today. Today. And yet we can't talk about Tina Fontaine or Cindy Gladue mm -hmm. or your story without being gaslit. On today, I was being told that until there's proof of bones, we can't actually prove these, you know, missing children and unmarked sites are connected. Like somebody said that to me who claims to be progressive yeah. in, in, a, in a group that actually is talking about curriculum reform. Like it is unbelievable the deep-seated hate and racism that Canadians have against Indigenous and they are completely oblivious to it. So every yeah. anger that you're feeling is that boundary being, you know, like a pole vaulted over no respectful person would say the things and do the things that to any other person other than indigenous women that's what this book highlights that's what you know all of these reports highlight so like here this is your space to take and if you feel like you need to chime in then we will mute R roberta rosemary twilight anybody that you know we need to because you have the right to chime in on this conversation this is an indigenous centered focused book club so you or, or anybody who identifies as Métis or First Nation or Inuit, status or non, they get the floor. So you're not taking any space. And all I've seen from our allies here were supportive comments and hearts and, you know, wanting you to give that space. And, you know, Larry, this space is yours. Jeremy, thank you for sharing. I'm with Larry. We're honored to hear you. Thank you greatly, Kathy. Go ahead. Thanks. Thank you. I just have to say I'm expecting a phone call anytime soon, so I might have to just leave. Um, so That's thank great. you. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your truth. We appreciate it. And uh, Larry, if you, I, I invite you to unmute yourself if you'd like. 
Great. I have to follow you too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for sharing your truth and, and being in this, this wonderful safe space that uh, I'm proud to have a little bit of fairy dust <laughs> involved in. Um, I'm a proud executive director of 12 Community Safety Initiative for those who don't know me and uh, Michelle started uh, this book club under that banner and, and I was honored to take over as executive director uh, during that tenure and uh, she hasn't mentioned something like super important yet though. This today is her fifth anniversary of the book club. I thought maybe she'd have cake and if my uh, if my um, uh, camera was working, I would get a cake, but uh, I, I want to say congratulations. I definitely wanted to be here today um, to, to, uh, to witness and, and uh, support that. Um, I have learned some interesting things about where I'm from. So I too am from Algonquin Territory, Julie, but the other side, so the Niagara area, and I learned that there was actually a treaty signed in that area amongst some of the, the bands in the area, and it was unrecognized. And I think it was unrecognized because the British and the French were just getting together to figure out what Upper Canada was. And so they signed the treaty, and then Canada became Canada, and the treaty wasn't recognized under that. So... It is the unceded territory of the Algonquin. Uh, I love to say that. Um, and uh, my background, um, there, there's a lot of colonial in, in that too, in Scottish and Irish. Um, so I'm, I've been learning a lot of things. Uh, there's a lot of parallel stories that, that happened to the Irish um, back in, back in the, the old days. And um, and my grandfather, uh, my name, my family name goes back to the 1700s on Barbados. And we, uh, if I go back far enough, um, I had uh, plantation owners in my, um, in my lineage that actually sold slaves back to the crown as part of that emancipation piece. So that is something that I have to unpack. Uh, as well, uh, Michelle knows my beloved Liverpool um, was really built on the slave trade. And in fact, was a port uh, for, they would, they would get them from Africa, stop in Liverpool and, and drop things off and then head over to America. And it was part of that circle. And there are tours done today now in Liverpool that talk about that fact, the, the, the Liverpool's racist past. Um, so, I'm just, I'm happy these conversations have started. I, I share everybody's frustration with the amount of people that aren't on board. Um, I'm proud to tell you, I called out a racist on our, on our Facebook page and somebody else jumped on my bandwagon and uh, he, uh, he got so offended that he gave up his membership in the Crossroads Community Association. And uh, um all of the people that are on the board at Crossroads backed it up 100%. Um, they felt like he was, and he was being called out for what he was, and he was being a pouty baby about it. So I see these attitudes shifting. I see, I see people uh, wanting to step out and be allies all the time. Um, for many of you know, Michelle and I have talked about the Langevin school name for the last eight and a half years and so many more people on that bandwagon now than there was eight and a half years ago. So um, 
really seeing a, a, a strong change in that and and we can't stop we got to continue and uh congratulations michelle on five years this is remarkable and uh hopefully we'll get five more oh honored honored you'd say that you know i was actually sharing with katie um, like a typical native Calgarian, and I say that because I am actually native, so I don't hope any settlers use that terminology. Um, I, I did make myself a Caesar, a virgin Caesar. And, uh, you know, because I'm moving, I didn't have all of the things I needed. So I'm, I'm drinking it out of a hot chocolate cup, but I enjoyed it immensely because I figured that was my celebration drink. And I'm hoping everybody's drinking lots of water or something, some kind of fluids because it's ridiculously hot right now. So, and I'm honored to do this. And I wish we could have been in, in person so that we all could have had cake and enjoyed it together. And um, we've actually had folks that I, I think, Rosemary, have you been here the longest, I wonder? Just, the, or Crystal or, or Heather, no? I know we've we've had some folks come and go. That's for certain. But I'm I'm grateful that people are here. Michelle, um, I must yeah. say uh, about the heat and my Bajan past. I feel exactly the same now as I did for a week and a half in Barbados. So it's, it's the the heat is identical. Yeah. Hey, it's not yeah. just me. I opened up my door to take some garbage out, and I was hit with a heat wave. I mean, inside here it's 25 and it's that st still that hot out there. Like, I can't believe how hot it is right now. So yeah, I hope everybody's staying hydrated. Thank you, Larry, for that kindness. I appreciate that. Uh, Roberta, I invite you to unmute yourself and share with us what uh, you'd like to share about the book and, and your background, et cetera. Thank you. Uh, I wish I hadn't eaten beans for supper. <laughs> Feeling nervous as well. Um, <laughs> My name's Roberta. Um, I identify as she, her, and identify as settler. Um, though I've been told that my grandmother was Métis, but I think it was Métis as in um, the French concept of Métis. My great-grandparents, her parents, my grandmother came from North Dakota, was born in North Dakota. Her parents were born in Chippewa County, Wisconsin, and North Dakota. They came by wagon to Alberta across the country, across the border. So that's on my um, maternal side. My paternal side are Welsh, who were also colonized by the part of the language goddamn English. So <laughs> um, that's my background. Um, I haven't read the book. I have fo I followed the news of Tina Fontaine pretty closely. Um, this is very hard for me to talk about, but my mom had a similar experience when she was 11 and um, came from the river alive. So, um, so it's really close to home. Um, the guy was caught, so justice was done, unlike um, the story of Tina Fontaine. Um, and um, he got five years. So, and my mom had to be in court while he stood up and told her he would when he was done, he was going to come and finish. Um, so my mom and I went when the news about Tina Fontaine and the, um, you know, I was really interested. She, you know, was living with her great aunt, and um, the pictures of her as a little girl. I think that Kathy mentioned there were the pictures of her as this little girl. So 
innocent. And then she kept getting dropped off at hotels by social services, like a child dropped off in hotels, was telling people that uh, about this older man who was obviously sexually exploiting her. And just the dehumanization in that and thinking how how can how can that level of sexualization and dehumanization happen in a in 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 a country where people can't even see it can't even talk about it can't um as you said michelle there's so much gaslighting around the issue and even now recently i was talking to somebody about um colonization and he's a nice person but made the comment that well the, the only good thing to come out of residential schools was learning English. And I thought, pardon the language, fuck you, that learning English is a good thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it's such a, and I find it sad, um, Kathy was talking about the Camelot School, residential school, that survivors have been telling this story for generations and generations and are people so deaf that they can't hear? They can't hear until what? Until we're locked down in a pandemic and somebody has to hire people to do forensic evidence? I'm thinking, yeah, I hope it wakes people up, but my fear is that people will talk about it for a while as they did with, in, with Tina, and then things didn't change. So I'm hoping that there's some sort of change. Um, so I, yeah, thank you. Well, Roberta, I really appreciate you uh, telling that really personal side of yourself to us. Um, I have a 13 year old daughter, you know, she's with my husband and our little dog. She has a phone. She's surrounded by people who love her. She's in Zoom calls. Honestly, I, I'm so enraged. I don't even know how to articulate how anyone would, like, like Larry, out of all people here who, uh, Crystal, a teacher, I, who take care, are entrusted with taking care of children yeah. from like nine till two every day. I mean, I'm utterly and completely enraged. I would rather see the whole social systems thing completely abolished yep. than to see them have the authority to do this. And I, I cannot wrap my brain around how a single person can justify any of it, not any of it, not one tiny bit of it. So I, I just hope you know, like I share your rage and solidarity Thank you. And anger. Oh, my, like, I honestly, I wish we could burn down everything. I just, I get so upset thinking about how anyone could talk to a child that way, treat a child that way. <sighs> yeah, yeah. And in solidarity with you as you being a mother, um, I didn't say this, my grandmother died three weeks after my mom was brought home. And I think, man, <laughs> you know it ripples it ripples yeah how anyone can yeah uh you know i'm 
I've done a lot of vigils in Calgary. I'm the, for those who don't know, I'm the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Girls uh, co-chair for Calgary. And uh, Josie Nipponak is the one who heads that. She uh, has a committee for the Sisters in Spirit vigil that we have on October 4th. Because of this role, I have done many vigils and I've talked to many family members. And I actually end up talking to a lot more of the mothers who have lost their daughters. And almost all of them have child welfare as a bloody stain that led to the death almost every single one of them as laid out in the trc as laid out in the inquiry report how a single canadian sleeps that night no concept no concept no idea i have no idea how you know on one breath we can pretend to be proud of our you know world war ii efforts and you know stopping the holocaust and talking about being proud multicultural inclusive society when we are so none of those things none so a rage and solidarity roberta uh rosemary i invite you to unmute yourself hi i'm rosemary brown i use she and her pronouns um yeah I, i'm a white settler of irish english german and french ancestry people coming at different times settling in different places but always on land that originally belonged to the indigenous peoples of this continent. Um, we, we had the group Kathy and I were in earlier today. It was very interesting. We were all asked to talk about our personal connection to the land and you know what that meant. And, it's something we may all want to ask ourselves in this group in the future. Like what, what is our connection to the land? And it may be to land in different places. And how does that feel? And what does it mean? And how does that then relate to the land we're on now in Treaty 7 and Indigenous peoples and issues and protection of the land? When it comes to the book, my overall reaction is where is Tanya Talaga? when you need her, she should, I, I feel like it would be such a different book if she had written it. I, I, I kept going back to the title because like Kathy, I, I read detective mystery type things and I found myself getting caught up and then it was like, slow down, Rosemary. This is not, you're not in, the, it felt like I was in the middle of a police procedure procedural, whatever they call it, but that's not what this is about. And then going back to the title, this is supposed to be about the life and death of Tina Fontaine. And I just felt like she was a little short introduction and the most of it was all about the police and how hard they worked on this issue. And they may have worked hard on the issue, but passing reference to social services, although there was the bit at the end where they talked about the five um, recommendations, which Kat has now told us have never been implemented. So I just felt frustrated with it. And I felt if it had been a book centered more around the relatives and the friends and Cody and other people to talk more about Tina, right? And, um, 
because she needed to become more alive in the book to drive home that point of this is a human being. It's a human child, 15, 14, 15 year old. And, and look at what the system has done. And I felt that someone like Tanya Talaga would have spent far more time dissecting um, the uh, child welfare system. You know, really just going at it, placing it within context, et cetera. And that, that didn't exist in this book. And I think what was really touching for me at the end was when um, Don O'Donovan um, went to her grandmother's home and there was Tina's grave and there was her sister's grave and they were side by side and both murdered, right? Um, and it, and it, it raises that whole issue of, again, of humanity and conversations that have been held with different people over time and where people talk about either, you know, being not, not wanting to be treated less than human or in another conversation, oh, I really liked that doctor. He was treating me like a human being. And it's like, we, we, we white Canadian settler colonizer society, we, we don't, who are we including in humanity, right? Is it, is it just us or is it, or is it more inclusive? So it, it brings home all of those issues and things to think about. Thank you. Yes, applause all around, let me tell you. Um, Twyla, I'm gonna encourage you to uh, unmute yourself. Um, my name is Twyla and I go by she, her. Um, I'm a white settler of mostly Ukrainian and some Irish. And I've lived um, on Treaty 7 territory for all my life. Um, this is my second time reading the book. I read it last summer and then when I picked it up again this time after knowing more and being more aware was a not a completely different read, but I was aware of way more things. Like sh when I read it, I didn't think like last time when I first read it, I wasn't like, oh, she, she made some bad choices. I, I was like, bad things happened to her, but bad things were given to her by the people who she was asking for help. She, she did the opposite of make bad choices. She just didn't get what she needed. And, and yeah, it was just bad. And so I did the same as Kat and I looked more into it and I found that report as well. So I printed it out. I need to like read on paper to, to get it. So it's like 115 pages. If anyone wants it, I'll send it over because I've read it now, but it's like deep. Like it, it, I, it it's a, a, a uh, yeah, if anyone wants to take that one, I'll send it to you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I um, I have a hard time with it. I, I have all these reports from Alberta Child Services and none of them have been implemented. And then worse, when Jason Kenney became UCP like leader and they implemented 
you know, some law, Serenity's law to try to, you know, placate. That wasn't even a recommendation in the review of the report that was specific to what happened to Serenity here in Alberta, let alone the previous reports before that, that needs so many recommendations that are to be implemented that are not. So I, I get really upset and frustrated about the whole concept about, you know, there's 94 calls to action, there's 231 calls to justice, but there's also so many multiple reports on child welfare reform. And today, Cindy Blackstock um, of the First Nation Caring Society is in you know, court taking the Canadian government to court so that kids can get proper, like equality, if First Nation kids can get equality. That's that's not even like that, I, to me, I wanted to dismantle the whole system, but that bigger picture, just equality. And I remember when she was being spied on by the Harper government, and I'm sure it has not changed under C-51 with the, with the Trudeau government and CSIS and all of those folks. And <sighs> children are a, are a capital asset, it seems, to the Canadian government. Apprehending them and giving settlers money to take care of children is a different form of assimilation of Indian residential school just through the culture of the new colonizers, you know, whether they're East Indian, Filipino, whether they're Canadian, whether they're, you know, Europe, European descent, like, it doesn't matter. We're still taking children away from their family for no good reason. I was just watching um, a prominent activist here in Calgary, and he experienced the same thing I did in the hospital here in Calgary just recently. As soon as you have a baby, you know, red flagged and child welfare called in. And, and why? You know, I wasn't even an activist then. They literally made me an activist from that action. So frustrating. And, and I think about the, uh, I can't hardly even think about them apprehending Samantha and her ending up being a Tina Fontaine. I, I, and I try to support families that have had that experience and it's, I, I don't know how people accept this. I don't. Um, I'm just going to pause this for a second. Fabulous. Okay, so we're back after a five minute break. Um, so Jeremy says, those first two chapters did bring her alive more than I've personally read, shame on me, surely. But out of the 15 chapters, the title Red River Girl seems like a total lie. Um, can only hope this book sparks some interest in learning more for someone who does primarily um, pick it up as a crime, crime book. Definitely looking for alternative reads for my, myself regarding her life. Yeah, no kidding. Danielle says, agreed to both comments, Jeremy. Uh, I think it's really important that uh, everyone know we're pretty much on the same page there. And um, I see Kathy did indeed have to leave us. And I, I hope uh, if you're a friend of her, you know, maybe check in, just make sure she's doing okay a little later as well. Um, and hopefully, again, I, we have the hotline for missing and murdered Indigenous women in the chats at 844-413-6649. Uh, um, so solutions, you know, bottom line is the solutions have been there, they've always been there actually. So Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples Report or RCAP report 
that has been available since 1996. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission has been available since 2015 with 94 calls to action and a whole section on child welfare. And the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Inquiry Report has been available since 2017. All of these are available for free publicly online for those who need um, hard copies. I know I've seen every one of the books that I have in the library. So obviously the pandemic made it a little harder for those who need the library, myself included. I'm like, I need the library, but we're, we're getting somewhere. Um, today, out of all days, uh, Nenshi actually said that uh, the state of emergency is now over. So that was news. So that must mean we're going to be seeing some emails frantically coming through from all of the, uh, you know, nonprofits and cities and <laughs> telling us the new, the, the new world that we're going to be living in probably as of next Monday or whichever. Um, anyway, so it, it's just been interesting going through this pandemic as well and, and uh, knowing how at risk a lot of Indigenous families have been, and uh, we're, of course, we're going through the opioid epidemic, or epidemic as well, and um, there's so much issues that need addressing that I hope the pandemic helped people see, and I think Larry, you know, really said he's seeing a huge shift, even in a community association, and, uh, you know, and, and that's what I push. I push people to remember they have a lot more power than they know. Um, coloring it forward, uh, local and Métis-based um, artist that does coloring books of different Indigenous artists. She put out a tweet today, a uh, tweet or sorry, a Facebook post, and it, it said, call your, um, or write your letter to your MP. And in it, very specifically, it was just like copy and paste, just copy and paste this, send this to your MP. Um, asking for money for the, um, you know, proper scanning of the burial sites for the missing children at all these Indian residential schools. And honestly, the, the, these are the things I want to empower the group with, is that you can be contacting your MLA and talking them very specifically about child welfare reforms and recommendations and talking and CCing the minister who's in charge of that portfolio. Like those are things you can do right now. Um, the anti-racism committees that are happening all across the city, this conversation can be a part of that conversation. Uh, I know for me, like defunding the police, that conversation includes, you know, those resources going to the next Tina Fontaine. We don't want another Tina Fontaine. There should never be, what happened to her is unforgivable. And no, no one should ever have to go through anything like that ever. But if we don't make changes, the pipeline is already made to continue doing more Tina Fontaines. So I, am, I implore you, uh, there's a, a municipal election coming up. If they don't know what the White Goose Flying Report is of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report, if they don't know the inquiry, if they don't have um, an action plan, like hold your politicians to account. This is where you get to, right? Um, we have a, a action group, a reconciliation action group. And I'm really hoping that will be kind of one of our next initiatives is uh, reaching out to any politician and saying, 
are, are these things on your radar? Because they need changing right freaking now. They need to change yesterday. They need to change in 1996 when the first report came out. You know, these changes need to be done now and, um, and hold people to account. Um, I actually had to interrupt somebody the other day. We were in a Zoom style meeting like this. And he said, why isn't the government um, giving clean drinking water? Everyone's on board with this. And I said, hold up. Actually, there's only been one party talking about that. That's what they went into the 2015 election with. And it wasn't popular. And, you know, missing and murdered Indigenous women wasn't even on the radar of the Harper government. And our premier was a part of that. Right. So these are conversations that we need to be holding our politicians to account. So um, one of the candidates in Ward 10, I ran in Ward 10. Uh, he blocked me on Twitter because I held him to account on the missing and murdered Indigenous women portfolio that he voted against a motion for the city of Calgary. And he had the audacity to block me because I held him to account. And zero settlers weighed in on that one. Zero. So these are things that need to be done. I, I Obviously, I can't get elected. You know, I've ran twice. I can't get elected. I'm just an Indigenous woman in the minds of the voters. But you all have that power to hold these politicians to account. All of you do. So that are like that's what I'm imploring the the book club is that there is hope. All we have to do is is you know do indigenous led um, focused work. So Cindy Black Blackstock is leading this charge. And if people don't know who she is, if they don't know the First Nation Caring Society and the work they do, like. This is like step one and <laughs> get to know that. Step two, definitely know the recommendations and reports that we're talking about. Give them to your politicians. Like you have to spoon feed these, like I can't even believe we have to, but if you spoon feed them, then at least they have the talking points, right? That they can start utilizing. And, you know, and I try to do that very subtly and kind, but I'm kind of done, kind of done. You know, I, I did it the nice way. And um, I don't care about the stereotype of an angry Indian. It's well deserved. Uh, you know, people want to pretend that that is somehow wrong. <laughs> uh, so, you know, hold your politicians to account. Know who Cindy Blackstock is. Know what the First Nation um, Caring Society is. Follow that court case that's happening right now. Um, make sure you mention it. Like, we're in conservative country. They don't know nothing. You spoon feed them these talking points. They want to, you know, own the libs. Here's their way to own the libs. Give them the talking points. Um, and then, of course, when they go for the election, I'm sure it will be in their platform, right? <laughs> but at least we can start holding them to account. So there's that. And then right now is Aboriginal Awareness Month. Um, the Calgary Aboriginal Awareness Week website has some ongoing events that I encourage everyone here to attend. You know, encourage your friends, your neighbors, your community association members, your sports clubs, your whichever your world looks like. Encourage them to go to those events so that they can meet Indigenous people, they can hear them, they know who they are. You know how many emails I get in a day? Oh, who do I ask about this or this? Well, if had you followed anything that I've ever posted, one, you'd know. Two, you'd have their name and their contact info, but you won't like the post. You won't like the person. You won't 
follow that person. And, and so like the onus on relationship building needs to be a little more on settlers. You know, settlers need to see their role in building up these relationships. Um, Larry says, I have some news about June 21 when you're able and right now is, is just fine. Perfect. So yeah. you talk about some of the things you can do, you know, um, and, but I'll share with everybody that what I take from the, from the TRC and the recommendations, I look at language and I think language is one of those things that, man, if uh, I, uh, for example, the, the, um, the Aboriginal youth, um, trying to remember the, the, um, acronym, Michelle, um, you say, you say, right. You say put out probably a dozen uh, graphic novels and they teach you Blackfoot, right? And you get to hear the language, you get to hear it spoken. So one of, one of my personal commitments is that when I'm able to, to translate into Indigenous languages, I'm going to do that. So as Michelle knows, we have a practicum student at 12 CSI who is uh, Wesley and she's translated uh, some of our traffic safety videos into uh, Stony Nakoda, and Rory is now putting them together. We will launch at least one on Monday, but hopefully three if he can get those done. So that's our little, our little dip in the ocean. But the, these are important things. Um, a lot of people still don't know what is the Blackfoot greeting, Oki, right? Um, I say my name because I've been lucky enough to be mentored under Blackfoot elders, but it's also that bigger picture that this is their territory, right? So we, we need to do that work. And even if you're saying, Oki, Nagana, go Rosemary Brown, at least you're trying, right? At least you're, you're trying to put in that effort of acknowledging the first people's land. Um, that conversation, I want to always encourage. And if you can say it in your own language, freaking awesome. So I've been trying to say Calgary as in Satudeni, meaning many horse town, as often as I can so that people hear it. And uh, obviously in Blackfoot, it's Mokinstis. And I always try to hit my elbow because all of the elders do. And it's important that we honor who they are because uh, we're on their territory. Uh, so uh, Calgary Aboriginal uh, Awareness Week, uh, please like and follow uh, earlier in the month, uh, Alberta Health Services sent out this fabulous PDF file with Zooms all across the province with great initiatives all across, like open to everyone. Um, and I, I was recently in a four minute video uh, for 66 uh, News and uh, I said in there that bigger picture of Canadians need to see these aren't Aboriginal events for Aboriginal people. They're Indigenous events for Canadians and for everybody. And that, that, you know, thinking of this isn't even for me shows that disconnect and shows that dehumanization of Indigenous people as well. So it, that's why it's important to see settlers at these events and amplifying Indigenous voices and not their own. I'm seeing so many settlers taking all the space and not amplifying Cindy Blackstock, um, Pam Palmater, uh, the woman who actually started Orange Shirt Day. Her tweets aren't going around. Her voice is not going around. But I sure get to hear it from other people. And worse, I've seen um, non-Indigenous business owners appropriate Orange Shirt 
and um, are selling orange shirts. So another huge message I have to everybody is do not buy an orange shirt from a non-Indigenous uh, supplier. Uh, there is orangeshirtbay.org that you can purchase one there. And if you can't purchase one there, purchase one from an Indigenous uh, owned artist, please. Um, so those are some simple solutions right now that can be done. There's, there's no excuses. I don't, I don't, well, I, I know the excuses. I hear the excuses every single day I get told them, but I want to encourage people to, you know, really amplify indigenous voices and not just mine. Like, I mean, I'm talking Murray Sinclair. I'm talking, there's so many podcasts out there. Um, I got tagged in, in one today and just a huge list of amazing people. Um, we talked about some of the better indigenous authors that would have been so much well more suited to tell this story. But, you know, the Calgary Library had it available to us, right? So we, we took it and much like, uh, oh, Judge George John Riley, who originated, like he, he gave us um, a $5,000 uh, speaking wave because his speaking fees like was it was like five thousand dollars five years ago it's probably more like fifteen thousand now <laughs> but that bigger picture that you know it should be indigenous led not non-indigenous led but there's not a lot of books about tina fontaine right now and it's really important that people know that the whole tina fontaine um verdict actually came out that's when we marched. We marched the streets of Calgary. We marched all, all across Canada that day. And that was, we put up a trapper's tent. Um, the late Patrick Derange was our elder and he helped us with that. And it was only gonna be up for a certain amount of time. And then we took it down and then Garrett Smith put up his TP and uh, did that whole initiative as well. And that all originated because of what happened to Tina Fontaine, all of it. And it's, it's unacceptable. It's not okay, but the solutions are there and settlers need to see their role in them. They need to see their role that when they call the police because of social disorder, that what they're doing is causing the trauma that's leading to these problems. You know, that could be the child apprehension that ends up happening so that Tina fits right again in the story right here in Calgary over and over and over by racist social workers that just think we're poor parents because they've been trained by Canada, by Canadian media, by the Canadian education system, the curriculums, that it's okay to talk about Indigenous people in this way. So, you know, these solutions are there. Um, Larry talked about language, just the language of how we talk about it. And I, I really love that you know, you were all aware of it, Crystal, Jeremy, um, everybody talked about that bigger picture of the language being used and how a BBC colonizer, of course, used that language. And of course, that's why we see it in our justice system today. So like, I think these are really important things to be saying. Um, Jeremy, please, um, can you recommend the next read for us? Yeah, I can do that. Um, so, Jeremy wants to talk about uh, something and I'll let him uh, bring it up. And in the meantime, I will let Danielle know what our next read is because it's a TRC and I just want to make sure I get the numbers right. Jeremy, you can unmute yourself. Sure, okay, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to um, advertise in this group here uh, an event that Rosemary has been putting together uh, along with the team 
uh, and it's a free event and it's named Making Visible Our Shared History, uh, the context for renaming institutions. Uh, and so that's on June 24th in the evening and uh, I am posting the link in the chat and uh, I hope people will attend. Yeah, I think, um, go ahead. Yeah, the, the other thing, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be public or not, so maybe I'll hold off. Yeah, I would love to talk to our group about that before we went public and our team supported it, but we'll get there. Um, so the recommended for the next read is, uh, so what we do in this book club is we do a section of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, then a book, and then a section of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And the next one is actually the Sports Calls to Action. And, um, you know, obviously I want you to all to read it, but if you wanted more homework, um, when we had the Calgary Olympic bid for 2026, I had done three podcasts on this topic. And the reason for it was because I went through the, you know, fine tooth comb, the recommendations of sports, and I actually uncovered some of my own family's truths. And interestingly enough, since that time, um, my uncle Fred Sasakamus has died of COVID. And because he um, had already been working on a book, it's actually published. And I just got my copy of it. So the next uh, calls to action on sports, I will probably be focusing a lot on my uncle's book because I'm going to, when I'm, get a chance to I'm just going to read it and um because it, it's very healing talking about it I wouldn't have really cared about the sports calls to action frankly but I think it's really important now because of uh, what happened with Ethan Bear and if you don't know what I'm talking about please make a note and look into it because it's relevant to the sports calls to action um also um yeah the Olympic bid there's actually some important conversation to talk about what uh, Wilton Littlechild's um, contribution was to that uh, Olympic bid, which are relevant to the sports calls to action. So there's actually a lot to, dis to discuss, even though I'm not normally a sports person. Um, I would really encourage people to look into them and not just because my, my uncle is Fred Sasakamus, but because um, it's relevant to Calgary. You know, and I, I did lots of podcasts on it if you if you're interested in reading or listening to those as some background as well. Um, you I don't know if I want to listen to me. I get annoyed. I can't believe anyone listens to the podcast, frankly. But it's a place for me to heal, right? And talk about these issues. So that's why I do. And I'm gonna uh probably talk about my uncle's book and that. So it's not in our list yet of uh books, but I was hoping to add that to the one uh, depending on how people felt of our next book club on that one and larry just shared the uh ethan bear story it i am um, yeah i was really shocked about about that whole thing so we'll talk about it more next time though and um we have five minutes left if anybody has some pressing things that they want to talk about the tina fontaine uh book or the or, or uh, tina fontaine conversation or the book um I really enjoy the fact that you all understand they are actually very separate conversations, the book and the actual person and the actual situation. 
that some British reporter or writer can't possibly do it justice and she didn't in any capacity. So, um, you know, but obviously I wanna, the book is out there, the people have read it and people need a, a space to discuss it. And uh, I wanna want always have that conversation with folks that wanna have that meaningful conversation, which I found you all did. So um, I said I was going to give Danielle my phone number. Actually, I'll give it to all of you because you're all welcome to have it. And uh, but if you need to reach out from today's conversation because it was a tougher one, hopeforwellness.ca has a text option for Indigenous people. Uh, that's more related to Indian residential school, but I think it's incredibly relevant considering what we're going through right now. And um, the uh, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women hotline is 1-844-413-6649. And excuse me, for non-Indigenous folks, there's a 211 in your area in most urban uh, settings. And then there's also, you know, other mental health distress center line um, supports as well if you need. But if you need anything, let me know. Uh, you can give me a text and I will. I will, or you can call whatever's easiest. I was talking to Rosemary on the road because that's just easier for me sometimes while I'm driving, uh, Bluetooth and uh, being safe. So yeah, don't hesitate. And any other lasting thoughts anybody has to say? Everybody drink your water, <laughs> stay hydrated. Michelle, one of the, one of the videos that we uh, are having, that we have translated into Stony Nakoda is distracted driving. So enjoy that one. <laughs> well, luckily, you know, I'm doing it safely. So, you know, there's that. And I think Kat, I seen you on mute. Yes, I just wanted to express my deepest gratitude to you, Michelle, for all the emotional labor and hard work you put into this book club. And I am grateful to be here and um, learn from all of you. Yes, agreed. And I think, you know, I wanna honor Danielle for being so open and honest and Kathy, although she may not be here, you know, sharing our stories and sharing our truth, because I think we can't have reconciliation without truth. And we certainly, if we're still not having indigenous centered conversations, then we're not having truth. So we can't have reconciliation at all. So I appreciate every one of you. I appreciate the effort you put beyond this book club and, um, you know, just grateful to share space with all of you anytime and happy fifth anniversary to chapters and chat book club let's hope we see a million of them across the country hashtag indigenous reads and i always encourage everybody to you know read a book <laughs> read a report <laughs> thanks everybody for coming i appreciate it